Uh, the outline there says sharing Jesus in a hostile world, part two. That's the question we're asking, isn't it? How do we share Jesus in a hostile world? That, that is the question we're exploring. We've been exploring that question this morning as we've seen Jesus send out his followers. And we started looking at uh, particularly verse 7 there. Uh, we noted actually that verse 6 of Mark chapter 6 gives us the context, doesn't it? Jesus has been rejected at Nazareth, but is pressing on. Even as the, the rejection of Jesus increases, uh, uh, as we go through Mark, Jesus is pressing forward to do the work of God. He's not withdrawing. Actually, he's uh, doing even more now. He's sending out these 12 men to take forward the work. In fact, the truth we learned this morning is that Jesus wants us to go and share his message in the world regardless of opposition. That's what we learned. Jesus wants us to go and share his message in the world regardless of opposition. And we learned those three things, didn't we, this morning? We learned that we must share Jesus confident of his call on our lives. We must be people that are truly converted as we share Jesus. Uh, we must share Jesus not as rambos or loners, as it were. We must share Jesus in community with other believers um, that God has placed us in the family of faith to share Jesus with. And also we must share Jesus not in our strength, rather we must share Jesus in his capacity, in his authority and power as his ambassadors. That's what we learned this morning. Uh, this evening we are looking at verse 8 to 13. And the key word I just want us to note here in verse 8 is the word charged. Look at verse 8. It says, he charged them. He charged them. Jesus is commanding them. Uh, and what is he commanding them to do? Well, he's not just commanding them to go. He's actually commanding them on how to share him. That's why important. He's not just saying, go and share my message. He's actually specifying how he wants his message to be shared. Many of us think that as long as we're sharing Jesus in the world, it doesn't really matter how we do it. But Jesus says it does. Uh, and the key truth we are learning this evening from verse 8 to 12, to 13 rather, is that this, this is a big truth. Jesus wants us to share his message on his terms. Okay? He wants us to share his message on his terms, not our terms, uh, not even our way. And there are four things. We'll run through this pretty fast, actually. You, I'm, you, you, we're not going to be stuck for a while, trust me on this one. So we'll run through these four, four things Jesus wants Jesus us to tell us here. Four things we need to do to share Jesus on his terms in a hostile world. And the first thing in your outline is this. We must share Jesus depending on God alone. Depending on God alone. That's the first point. Normally when I'm at Heathrow Airport, when I'm just dropping off my wife or myself, I'm traveling, I see people traveling to Africa, particularly Ethiopian Airlines, right? And usually they are carrying tons and tons of bags, right? If you go with Ethiopian Airlines, they have a very large luggage allowance. And they carry tons of bags with them. Why are they carrying so many bags when they're going back uh, to Africa? As it were? Well, the reason is that many Africans, of course, who are traveling back to home, as I would call it, 
they are really on a humanitarian mission. It doesn't look like that, but they are on a humanitarian mission to help loved ones uh, who may be in dire needs. They are carrying things that will be useful for them. So, you know, great-granddad somewhere uh, who lives in the village needs some help. So when you're traveling, you take up advantage of that. And uh, Ethiopian Airlines is particularly good because they have a large luggage allowance. They carry things with them uh, to give to others who are less fortunate. But Jesus here is also sending his followers on a sort of humanitarian mission, isn't it? But it is more important uh, than a trip to Africa or a trip on holiday. It is about serving souls. And unlike when some of us travel, uh, the mission Jesus is sending us on of sharing the gospel is not one where we need to carry bags, large bags with us, no. Jesus tells us that the only thing they need to carry on this mission is really what they're wearing, so to speak. God will look after them. They must go on this mission depending on God alone. Look at verse 8 to verse 9. And he charged them or commanded them to take nothing for their journey except a staff, that is a walking stick, or a stick to ward off uh, people who want to attack you. No bread, that's no food. No bag, no luggage. No money in their belts, don't carry any money. But to wear sandals and not put on two tunics, or not put on two shirts. Well, you can't wear two shirts really, but the whole point is that don't carry an extra shirt, so to speak. The disciples are not to carry anything except what they have on them. A walking stick, sandals, and clothes they are wearing. No extras, no bags. That's how Jesus is sending them to go into these villages. And Matthew 10, verse 9 to 10, clarifies for us that they are not to buy any new sandals or sticks. So actually, if you haven't got any of those things, you just go. That's the point. And if you're trying to harmonize these passages in Luke and Matthew and, and Mark, that's the point. In Matthew, the emphasis is don't buy anything new. You know, when we're going on holiday, we like buying stuff, don't we? I mean, do a bit of, ensure that we have some stuff in case stuff we are carrying breaks down. We want new stuff. You don't wear sandals that we're just going to be knocked out after a, one mile of, of walking. Jesus says, no, 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 no. Go with what you've got on you. This is a minimum push, so to speak. They must go with what they have. And they must go, therefore, depending only on God and God alone. And you know what Jesus is saying is this new community is saying the same thing to us today. As we go out to share Jesus, he's saying to us, if you commit to share my gospel with others, I will look after you. This is on my account. I will foot the bill. That's what he's saying to us. I want you to share the word of God with others depending only on me, not on, on your resources. And the question for you and I is simple. Do you trust Jesus to look after you as you share Jesus in the world? And maybe God is currently giving you a wonderful opportunity to befriend a single mother in your neighborhood, on your street, or perhaps at the school gate. Doing that is going to cost you. It will cost you time. You're busy. You have a job to do. I mean, how are you going to do it? It's going to cost you money because if you befriend a single mother, uh, she might have needs and you're already aware of those, of course. 
And that might put you off, but God is asking you this this evening. Are you willing to depend on me to look after you as you befriend that single mother in a redemptive relationship? Maybe God has put a nominal young Christian lady in the church uh, on your radar, right? Someone who needs a true follower of Jesus to invest in her. Doing that, for some of us here, it will mean going out of our comfort zone, as it were. You are older than she is. You may not even know her culture. But God is asking you this question this evening. Do you trust me to help you then? Do you trust me to look after you as you sacrifice to share the gospel to that person? And we can think of many, many questions in which Jesus is posing this question to us. And it's a question all of us have to think about because, you see, what stops us sharing the good news with others is that we live busy lives. Many of us simply have no time to share Jesus with others. And the reason we live like that is because we are depending on ourselves. We are not asking what as a disciple of Jesus should live like if they are going live is to share the gospel. You understand that? That is the the fundamental question of discipleship. How should my life be? I had to answer this question for myself. If I want to share Jesus, how should I live? What what job should I have? It's the question the other way around. We we tend to have our job or whatever it is we're interested in first and then fit Jesus in. that's, That's how we live. But actually we should be asking, I want to live for God. I want to live for Him. How then should my life be arranged if I'm going to do that? And that might mean, for example, still being where you work, and that's quite important. But as you are there now, thinking about differently how you witness to Jesus in that context. It's really asking, remembering that even the job you currently have or the, or, or the responsibilities given you belongs to God, and therefore that must, living for God must trump everything, and therefore it is asking him to, is surrendering that to him. Don't carry self-dependence, he's saying. Don't carry an extra share. Look to me alone. Depend on me alone. And so that's the question Jesus is asking us here. Are you willing to depend on God alone to empower you to live for him? Because in order for us to share the good news of Jesus in a hostile world, we must have wholehearted trust in God. If we don't have that, we'll never have time to share Jesus. We'll never have enough money to sit down even over a cup of coffee with somebody else over Starbucks. Everything will just seem so difficult for us. Because, you see, we're depending on ourselves rather than on God. That's the first thing Jesus wants us to do here. He says he wants us to depend on God alone. The second thing is that we must seize opportunities. Seize opportunities for Jesus. Jesus is clear here that even though his followers are facing hostility as they go out, God will never people to hear what they have to say. It's amazing. Look at verse 10. And he said to them, whenever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there. The key word there, obviously, is whenever. Not perhaps. Jesus is confident that they will be received. Not everyone, we know that, because of verse 11. And if any place will not receive you, so we know that. 
but he is confident that some will receive us as we share the gospel with others. And this is what happened. Look at verse 12, when the, when the brothers went out. And so, verse 12, it says, And so they went out and proclaimed that people should repent. And they cast out, they had opportunities to cast out many demons, and they anointed with oil, the, the oil of gladness, the oil is really symbolic for the Holy Spirit. Many who were sick and healed them. In fact, they were so well received that when they came back, they were tired. How do I know that? Because if you skip to verse 30, look at verse 30 to verse 31. When the apostles returned to Jesus in verse 30 and told him all they had done and taught, well, the apostles returned to Jesus and told him all they had done and taught, and he said to them, Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. They have done great work and they need rest. And in fact, they've got more pressure, more people coming, perhaps even generated by, I think says for many who are coming and going and they had no legitimacy to eat. It's possible even this ministry has generated this new demand actually on Jesus. We know that actually because Herod, when we see next week, he's going to hear about the work the disciples have done and he's going to be very troubled about Jesus. So the work has produced fruit. These disciples have gone out, they have knocked on doors, right? They have put out flyers, they have entered into people's homes, and they have shared Jesus with the lost. They, they did not sit and wait for people to come to them. As a church, sometimes we pray that God will send us people, and we should pray. And in revivals, we see that. But actually, the model of the scripture is that we go out. And notice that they didn't let hostility stop them. When it came, what do they do? They simply moved on. Look at verse 11. And if any place will not receive you, and they will not listen to you, when you, when you leave, you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. We'll come back to that. The point is that they met hostility, but when they met it, they just moved on to the next person because they were moved by this compulsion to share Jesus. And this is what Jesus is also saying to us today. Do not wait for unbelievers to come to you. Some of us are just waiting for the perfect opportunity for somebody to approach us. You know, on, our, on their knees and say, how can I receive Jesus? It has happened. I've heard about it. But that's, not, that, that's rare, right? It, I'm not saying it can't happen. But we, the, the, the command is for us to go out. And don't wait for the UK to become a more tolerant society. I mean, we can have a whole sermon about this. But in the Bible, I have never seen, really, I will chat with me afterwards, God sent someone on an easy assignment. We can start. Let's just start. Do you want start from Genesis, right? Abraham, was that easy living, going to an land? I'm not so sure. Moses being sent to the children, God's people, in, in Egypt, was that easy? No. You remember how he was treated when he arrived? Some of the elders didn't even believe him. That was a tough assignment, going in a demonic land like Egypt. Think of Jonah, who had the greatest revival in the scriptures. Barring John the Baptist, who will come to in a moment. Was Jonah's assignment easy? One of the reasons why Jonah even ran away, I'm pretty sure, apart from the fact that he, he knew God was loving, is that he was going to the worst nation on earth, Nineveh. 
He actually was risking death. You, you know, you gotta cut Jonah some slack, I think. It was hard going to Nineveh at that time. I mean, I, this is like being sent, I'm trying to think of a country Jonah was being sent to at the moment. That would be like you being sent to Saudi Arabia to proclaim Jesus. It was tough. Think another, think again in the New Testament. I mean, we can talk about Daniel in Babylon. <laughs> we can talk about Ezekiel's assignment, right? Uh, or Jeremiah. Uh, you, we can talk about uh, in the New Testament, even where Paul was going to preach. And you, you see what God had sent him there. But our Lord Jesus Christ himself, he who, was, who is perfectly holy, entered this unholy world. A world stained in sin. God never sends his people on easy assignment. So do not wait for the UK to become a more tolerant society before you start sharing Jesus. No, the model in the scripture is that we must go to where sinners are. We cannot share Jesus with sinners unless we spend time with them. It is risky, it is costly, but it is the gospel. So the issue for us this evening is not how tough our assignment is. Rather, what God is asking you here is, are you seizing the opportunities to share me that I've given you already? Are you seizing those opportunities? Now, what you should ask me is, what opportunities, Joel, are you talking about? I don't see them. Good question. I hear you. Well, the opportunities I'm talking about is the opportunity to build redemptive relationships with people you meet all the time. The opportunity to forge new friendships where God has placed you by perhaps becoming more regular or present in places where friendships are formed. I've often talked about the cafe, the, the library, the park, the pub, the sports club, wherever friendships are forged. If you're more present there, I'm sure you make friends for Jesus. The opportunity to volunteer. Uh, in our borough here, there are many opportunities for you just to volunteer. Maybe to be a mentor to a young person. That's there. You can go on the website. Or you can even volunteer like our brother Graham Trice does. He volunteers to help elderly folk to learn how to use the computer at home. And so he actually enters in people's homes. For Jesus, of course. We're sharing that about for us. We're sharing that with us when he came last time. That's just another example. You see, the opportunities are there for us to build such relationship if we want to. The opportunity to know the cashier at your favorite supermarket or the bank. If you are there more regularly, hopefully, I mean, most, most of us don't go to the bank that regularly, do it. But if you go to the same shop, you can get to know them. Or as we were discussing with the ladies on last Friday, the opportunity perhaps to build a relationship with your hairstylist, who you may see quite regularly. Build a redemptive relationship in that sense. Perhaps the opportunity to get involved in the outreach of the church here when we have it next Saturday. We, we are doing open air next Saturday. You have that opportunity to come and a chance to be involved, see evangelism in action and just... Have a chat with people on the street. Or it might be the opportunity for you to, when you're free, during holidays, or well, not during holidays, but some other time, when you could even intentionally take a day off, I would say, for you to come and at least see the mums and tots on a Thursday in action and get to know the mother. Practice talking to non-Christians there. 
Perhaps the opportunity you have is to speak to that homeless man you meet on the way to work. That's an opportunity. Instead of just shuffling around when you see somebody holding perhaps being homeless, or even those who sell the big issue who are not themselves, of course, homeless. But you have opportunity to actually speak with those who have a big issue and engage them with the gospel on your way back from work. You, of course, have opportunities to get to know your foul-mouthed neighbor uh, a bit more. My point is there are plenty of opportunities. The opportunity to risk rejection for Jesus. And beloved, can I just remind you that the bar of success in the kingdom of God is very low. It's like this low, right? Literally low. You know why? Because you're not there to, com- to, 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 to win them as such. You're sharing Jesus with them, but it's the Lord who converts them. You know what I mean? You, you, you're not going to turn them into Christians. It's the Lord who does that. All you have to do is to build a relationship and share the gospel with them. And then leave it to the Lord to convert them. So actually, the, the success is you just sharing. I think sometimes we judge our success in the kingdom by the fact that we, we have ticked the box, this person has become a Christian. Of course, the goal is for them to become a Christian, but only the Lord can convert someone. Do you get what I'm saying? So the, 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 the measure of success for you is just going out. Jesus didn't tell these people, bring me 20 converts. He just said, go out. So the question I want to just ask you this evening is, are you willing to seize up those opportunities? Do you love Jesus enough to ask him to help you to seize those opportunities? To ask him to help you think about your life and how you should be arranged? These are, I appreciate these are not easy questions for us to, to answer, but we can go to the Lord honestly and say, Lord, my heart is yours. I want to share you. Please help me to think of ways in which I can do it. And I always encourage you that perhaps the best place to start is always in the church. If, if there are always people in the church who do not know Jesus, okay? And actually, some, for many of us, that's what we've got to start. To get to know those more so that we can then graduate, so to speak, to people that are outside. So the first thing is we depend on God alone. Secondly, we seize opportunities for Jesus. And then we see here, thirdly, we witness with our lives. We witness with our lives. Notice here that Jesus is keen for us to understand that living for Jesus in a hostile world is a battle and a witness, as we learned in First Peter during Bible studies. This world is not our home. That's why the world is very hostile to us. We are aliens and strangers in this world. The world is not your friend. So we always face hostilities. But our reaction to that hostility is not to be hostile back. Rather, Jesus wants us to live as ambassadors for him. And that means living in a way that respects non-believers who even we disagree with. For the Lord's sake. And actually, we should treat them with dignity and honor. The first Peter says, honor everyone. Okay? Honor even the emperor, it says. And we see here the Lord Jesus Christ is teaching us how to honor non-believers, isn't it? Look at verse 10. And he said to them, Whenever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there. In other words, these brothers are not supposed to chase after better hospitality. 
Once they arrive and check in and they are received, they are not supposed to say, and we can imagine perhaps Judas, we're having a go at him, thinking to himself, thank you for receiving me here, but uh, uh, is that all you got, right? Uh, is that all the room you have for me? So he said, no, when you are invited in, you come in, stay where you are, don't move, don't run after better hospitality, don't go to people who like your preaching more, so to speak, and uh, be tempted to run after that. I think this passage perhaps has got more application for ministers of the gospel already. But it's warning us not to, to, to run after fame, even, or not to run after better offers elsewhere, right? And this temptation was very strong, really, because, you see, at this time, houses in Jewish villages are, are just, in the village, are just one small room. Uh, with an elevated porch, right? So a small room with an elevated porch. And so what would actually happen is that the family would sleep at the porch, right? Uh, they'll get up a ladder and they'll get onto a porch. Uh, a bit like a banker. Imagine they have like a, a giant banker bed, right? <laughs> Which has the bottom and up. So they will sleep at the top. And then at the bottom, they would have the usual sort of living things. Uh, sort of the, the animals sometimes will even be kept in front of the dwelling. But essentially, that was the arrangement. So these are very humble homes. And you can imagine that for people to welcome these brothers in, they're really giving up a lot. They're sacrificing small space. These are not hotels they're living in. They are probably just one family there, and they haven't got much on, you know, or maybe even a widow who's welcomed them in, like the, the widow of Zarephath, think of the scriptures, and they haven't got a lot, but they are sacrificing just to invite them in as part of ancient Near East hospitality. Now imagine if the disciples then, having gone in, being taken up, somebody wasting, remember they have no money, they're not paying for anything, then all of a sudden, they decide to move somewhere else. Well, that would be dishonoring uh, in this culture. So Jesus doesn't want them to live like that. He said, stay put. Uh, they must live, must honor those who receive them because they must be a witness for Jesus, not only with their words, but also with their holy lives. And that's the application for us today, isn't it? We must live and share Jesus as good witnesses. Our lives do matter. And we must live as children of God. Your bitterness and unforgiveness towards people who have hurt you in the past is not witnessing the love of Jesus to anyone. And we must repent for that if we have such attitudes. Your constant desire to win every argument with your daughter or your son who does not believe in Jesus is not a good advert to him or her for Jesus. Your unkind comments to your husband or your wife who does not yet trust in Jesus is not pointing them to the Redeemer who gave up his life for them. Sharing Jesus in a hostile world means living as a billboard for his grace, of his grace. In the same way, even at work with colleagues, how we relate to them matters. We must honor them. And I have thought about this, actually, that it's amazing, isn't it? <laughs> I'm reading Shannon at the moment. I'm completely digressing here. But I'm reading Stephen Shannon at the moment. And it struck me yesterday when I was reading before I went to bed. He made this point, which is, I've got to explain it clearly. He makes this point that 
human beings are more evil than Satan is. And I thought, I've never thought about it like that. Why does he say that? Well, he says human beings are more evil than Satan is because, you see, Satan is, does, has not been offered by God any redemptive provisions at all. There's no salvation for him. But when we measure God's goodness for us, I, I told you I was digressing, when we measure God's goodness for us and our response to him, we are massively apart compared to how Satan is relative to God. We are relatively more evil than Satan is. Even at that point, you can read volume one, 500 pages, and you'll find it somewhere there. Well, why was I digressing there? I was making this point that it says something about God's goodness, isn't it? To sinners. To think that Jesus would care how the disciples treat unbelievers who receive them. It shows me his love for sinners. There are people also, you know, they have rejected him, but even in their rejection, Jesus wants us to treat them with honor. He cares about non-believers. He wants to honor them, whether they repent or not. I think for me, that communicates just how profound, how wondrous the love of Jesus, especially as I think about what Shanoka says in that context, just how evil we are. Um, yeah. So we are to honor non-believers because it's a good witness for the Lord, and actually it is how the Lord himself relates towards them. He honors them uh, in this situation, despite their sin. His grace, his common grace, still abounds for them. So the second point there is that we are to witness with our lives. The first point is depend on God alone. Secondly, seize opportunities for Jesus. Thirdly, witness with our lives. And finally, we must tell the whole truth. Tell the whole truth. Sharing Jesus in a hostile world will not be easy. Uh, but Jesus makes it clear here that even though we face cold reception from people, we must tell them the whole truth. There's a danger here when we are living, we face so much hostility to our faith that we will try and uh, do a sort of a la carte type approach. Pick and choose. Jesus is clear here. No, they, they're going to communicate the truth. Look at verse 11. And if any place will not receive you, and they will not listen to you, when you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a what? As a testimony against them, that they have rejected the gospel. You see, Jesus um, wants us to make this point clear here. Now, there's a bit of uh, context here just to be aware. This time, the situation was that when um, pious Jews were traveling outside Jewish areas, what they did was they, sh- they, were sh- they, sh- they would shake off their feet uh, to get rid of the dust. It sounds bizarre, doesn't it? <laughs> you, you're traveling. Well, essentially, the reason they were doing this was to communicate, you see, that the land of the Jews was different from the, the Gentiles. So they are moving from a territory that is unclean, so they shake off the dust, as they enter a territory that is clean. Okay? They were saying, we are separated. Uh, we are not like you. You are pagans. We are Jews. And we love the Lord. And so you are under judgment. We are under God's grace, so to speak. And Jesus here is adopting this tradition as a way for his followers to warn the people of the town that have rejected Jesus 
that actually what they've done is they have rejected God himself. By rejecting the message, they have separated themselves from God. And what is interesting is that Jesus is now doing this, by the way, just as a footnote. Jesus is doing this now. He's not applying it geographically, notice. He's now doing this. This mission, by the way, is in the Jewish territory. What Jesus, in, in fact, is saying is that it doesn't matter whether you're a Gentile or a Jew. If you reject Jesus, you are under God's judgment. You are under God's wrath. In effect, the good news of Jesus separates those who, who, who are God's people from those who are not God's people. He's, he's got rid of these demarcations now. He just said, look, go into a Jewish town, shake off the feet, remind them that they are now as good as pagans and that they must repent, or as bad as pagans. They must now repent and come to faith in me. What Jesus wants us to do is to tell it like it is, isn't it? We must tell people that they, will rep- they must repent or perish forever. And this is what Jesus, this is what the brothers did when they went out. Look at verse 12. So they went out, we are told in verse 12, they went out and proclaimed that people should repent. Metanoia. They should turn around and live differently. They must turn away from their sins and put their full trust in Jesus for salvation. And if they don't do that, they stand condemned. And in the same way, we must tell people the whole truth. We must do it in love and without fear. We must not compromise on the gospel. We must tell the whole truth to our family members. We must tell them the truth. Why should we tell them the truth? Because Jesus has taken on himself all our fears of rejections and nailed them to the cross. It is hard to tell our family members that they must repent and come to faith in Jesus. Because we risk their rejection, don't we? But we must do it because what? Jesus has already been rejected for us. He has nailed all the rejection on the cross. We must tell the whole truth to our childhood friends because even if they inflict emotional wounds by rejecting us, Jesus has already been wounded for us on the cross. So the wounds of this world really are inconsequential. We must tell the whole truth to our colleagues because even if it means poor career prospects, the resurrection of Jesus has taken away our worries about our future. We now have a great future with Jesus. And we must tell the whole truth to our neighbors, isn't it? Because even if they no longer invite us in for tea, because we told them to repent, we know that God is lovingly preserving us, isn't it? Through this life, bringing us safely into his glorious internal kingdom, into the new heavens and the new earth. You see, we must tell the whole truth because, you see, the good news of Jesus is not our property. It is his message. And we have no right to alter it. Not from this pulpit, and certainly not when we go out there to share Jesus with others. It is his message. It is his word that we must proclaim faithfully. We have no right to meddle with it. So if you're a true follower of Jesus, I just want to encourage you uh, that Jesus wants us to keep sharing his message regardless of opposition and on his terms. And sharing Jesus on his terms means depending on God alone. Point one. Seizing opportunities for Jesus. Witnessing with our lives. And finally, 
telling the whole truth. Well, may the Lord help us to share his message in this hostile world. Amen.